0: And I was tapping into that energy, some really dark energy, and it was making me highly successful at times. And I was, I could, I could start doing things that many people could do. Um, but when you're tapping into that energy, it doesn't matter how much success you have, you'll, you'll never be happy, and you, it's never going to take away that pain you went through as a, as a 13 year old in my case, or you know, and this is not an uncommon story. Like lots of people have had trauma in their lives, uh, the life of a Gary Vaynerchuk. They say tap into that. You know, it's like Emperor Palpatine. Tap into that anger and that hate, because you can do some great things, and, it, and it's highly motivating for people. But when you get that success, you'll never be happy. You'll never be content. So now I'm, um, I'm drawing my energy from, um, you know, connecting with um, purposeful projects, doing because I'm really um, happy with what I'm doing, working with interesting people, and flying around the world, meeting other interesting people as well.
1: Welcome to Melbourne Reconnect, we're in the beyond rest, chill out space at the moment. I'm Paul Medhurst here with Nick Dunnan and a special guest, Nick Tullion, welcome. Great to be here. Uh, Nick Dunnan, you probably want to run through Nick's um, bio a little bit because you have known him a bit longer.
2: Yeah, so Nick is a guy that's been around the startup ecosystem ecosystem. Within Perth and Melbourne and all around the world now, for what going on the past eight years, moving five years, moving from corporate, uh, and you're in an interesting position where we brought you on because you're beginning to move away from you know the traditional style hustle style businesses to try and find more balance within yourself or within you know Nick self, and uh, yeah, going going out, spreading all sorts of different messages within the LinkedIn hemisphere about mental well-being to, um, you know, working aligned, you know, in businesses that have purpose and and treat people well. Uh, So you've got quite an interesting journey there. Would you mind sharing a little bit about where you've been to where you're at now um, in highlighting, you know, your unique, you know, perspective in the business world that a few people have? But there's a lot of people out there that aren't really seeing things from your lens and just, you know, how did you go from Mr. You know, Hustle to, you know, traveling around the world, investing in different businesses, um, but, but seeing the change and trying to highlight that change of where business needs to go, you know,
0: in a more healthy, sustainable way. Sure. Well, the journey started about five years ago. I was in Western Australia when the big resource boom was going on and I flew over to San Francisco just as a supporter of the America's Cup. Uh, I was born and bred in New Zealand and moved over to Australia when I was 21, so I always kept a bit of an eye on some of the New Zealand sporting um, endeavours and I sort of quit my job sort of on the spot and, and flew over there by myself and just walked around and was talking to random people and I ran across this guy, his name's um, Garth Sutherland. And he pioneered the smart inhaler. And we just struck up a conversation. I said, oh, you're here uh, to watch the America's Cup as well? And he's like, no, I'm actually just here in town on business. Uh, It just happens to be on. I've taken the day off to come and check it out. And I was asking him all about, you know, business and what he'd been doing uh, in the sort of bioengineering world. And it was completely fascinating. And at that moment, what I realized was uh, all the – conversations I've been having in Perth up until that point was people were talking about how many houses they've um, bought, uh, uh, their alley rate. You know, People in Perth would actually talk about how much money they're earning per hour and how many houses they've had and there's no loyalty there. People would jump ship for an extra dollar an hour and uh, they'd be talking about the iron ore price of what's happening in the property market. And then here I was in a completely different environment. People were talking about you know, saving lives. The smart, the smart inhaler. Having a great time flying around the world, and I really, re- I really connected with that idea. I, and I realised I was just one of multiple people working in the resource industry. And if I was to leave tomorrow, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make one iota of a difference. And what we're doing, we're, we're just another part of the puzzle, um, helping get more iron ore out to port. And I just didn't think that was an exciting or interesting way to to spend your time. Uh, so as I left San Francisco airport, I don't know, I think I was flying Singapore Airlines, but I saw the Air New Zealand plane there and the big coro in the background. And I thought, New Zealand company in San Francisco. And, and it was a sort of strong image. And, and I, I connected San Francisco as the startup capital of Um, you know the world I was like I think I should be working on um, you know emerging technologies that seems to be with all the innovation and the great ideas and um, the most interesting people it's a bit of a magnet for for weird and wonderful people and uh, I felt really connected uh, to that tribe I guess so I went back to Perth and uh, had absolutely no idea how to get into the startup industry you know I'm not a coder had no background in technology uh, so I started drawing a bit of a short list of some interesting companies that are coming across my radar and I found this company called uh, 90 Seconds which was a video production cloud video production platform um, it was about 3 or 4 years old they had about 15 people working for them and they just moved into Australia and I saw this old YouTube video clip of the founder, Tim Norton, and I could just see this guy had a vision and he was tapped into some something different. He was tapped into a whole new energy level that I'd never seen before. And I just knew this is, this is the dude that I had to work for. If I want to do something quite big myself, I had to work alongside the best. So I jumped on a plane um, from Perth, tracked him down at 10 p.m. in a bar, and downtown Auckland on on Queen Street. And I just walked up to him. I was like, Tim Norton, you have no idea who I am, but I've flown here from Perth to meet you. I saw you uh, speak at the 456 conference on YouTube and I want to work for you. And he just hugged me and said, mate, that's the best pitch I've ever heard. (laughs) Let's have a couple of beers. So we... We had a couple of uh, pale ales the next couple of hours and talked about a few things. And as I was leaving the bar, probably about midnight by this point, I handed my business card and said, "Look, I really want to work for you. You know, get in contact." And he's like, "I've already, I've already got your card. You've, I don't need another one." Hmm. Uh, and then the next day, I woke up and I had a message from him on uh, Facebook Messenger, and he's like, "Mate, you're a crazy cat. Uh, I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how you can work for me, but..." you've got on a plane, so I'm, li- I'm listening. I'm interested. Let's see what we can do. And I said to him, well, how about this? Uh, I don't really have any right to be working for you right now. I know nothing about advertising, video production or, or technology. Um, so I'll work for you for free for three months and I'll run around Perth and uh, I've done work for the likes of BHP and Rio Tinto before. Maybe I can find a way in there for you and so I worked for free for three months down at Space Cube where I ran into Nick Dunnan for the first time four years ago. you were hanging out there and I paid for all my own, own expenses and just just ran around um, causing mayhem. And, and what I found was when you make big life calls like that, I, I quit a six figure salary um, job in the mining um, resources industry. Not only was I not working, you well, know, yeah, working for free. I was paying for all my own expenses, and you know, seven hundred dollars a month. That was just an office space and a space cube, which is the kind of cool innovation um, epicenter of Perth, and mobile phones and all, and all the rest of it. Um, people give you a shot. You know, you make some bold moves. People people are prepared to listen. That's that's that was a big lesson that I learned. Uh, and then about six months later, uh, I, you know, I actually started getting paid by 90 Seconds and I um, moved to Melbourne and helped set up a Melbourne office. And the two years I was at 90 Seconds, they grew from 15 employees to over 100 and uh, they got investment led by Sequoia Capital, the most famous venture capital company in the world. And I, I saw um, you know hyper growth, I worked under a world-class founder Um I really got tapped into this whole. We talked about you know briefly, you know the hu- whole hustle thing, because there's this whole thing around the on the startup scene. You know, you're gonna be working, great you know, make something happen. You'd be working ridiculous hours, and I went really hard on LinkedIn um, because that was all I had at the time. I didn't have contacts in in marketing departments. I wasn't well-connected in the startup ecosystem, so I used that as a bit of a platform to kind of uh, launch myself, and it was all good at the start. Got a bit of following, was blogging about the experience, but... Um, I think uh, I got really, really caught up in the whole Gary Vaynerchuk thing. I was a massive fanboy of Gary Vaynerchuk, you know. I quite liked at the time his ethos is just, uh, you know, we're, we're, all, we're all humans here. It um, doesn't really matter, you know, where, where you've come from. I had a bit of a problem being a New Zealander in Australia and didn't go to school here and didn't have any family connections and I thought that was working against me. So I really liked the whole thing, you know, work hard, promote promote yourself, you know on places like LinkedIn and you know, grow a following and make things happen. And I did that for a while and did it highly successfully. Grew a bit of a following, um, started uh, you know, winning some large accounts and um, making some serious connections through LinkedIn. But there became a point where uh, that, that goal that you're after and who you become start moving in different directions and you start becoming quite narcissistic and it's all about... The, the perception or, you know, showing that you're working hard or you're doing this or you're creating this content and it starts um, actually becoming about you as the person and, and not the the movement that you're on. And, and I got lost. I got lost in that world. Uh, and I uh, I still don't mind that I did this, but it, it took me down a really unhealthy path. I couldn't do a deal with A and Z. For some reason, they weren't returning my calls or uh, my emails. So I stood outside their head office down in Docklands in, in Melbourne, and I created a video, and I said, "I'm not leaving um, your reception until you talk to me." And six hours later, I met group marketing, and we um, started uh, writing, you know, the the early paper of a, a procurement agreement with them, and you know, that was quite it was quite an interesting insight of what you could do to meet some powerful people or organizations so I drew up this idea of called the Melbourne hustle and I was very much Gary Vaynerchuk um, inspired where I'd sort of walk around with a little video crew and hang out um, outside large organizations and cause a bit of trouble and taunt them until they'd meet me and then hopefully sell them some sort of advertising package but at that point it stops becoming about what who you are like why are you in business? And it starts becoming about you, the brand, this whole idea of you need to be like doing these crazy things to be successful. Very narcissistic because it does come about, look look how great I am, look how hard I'm working, look how special I am. And uh, let's be honest, uh, even, even you're getting likes and shares and comments and all that, it becomes quite addictive. You get those dopamine hits uh, and it you get clouded. You get clouded into that, and you get you get lost in your own ego, and I started seeing that happen to me. I've seen it happen to other people. You know, I think there's some there's some good things about the whole Gary Vaynerchuk movement. Um, don't who, be too easy, because I mean, I don't I
1: don't know who he is. Most some people will know, but can you give us a bit more of a background?
0: For he, he's a guy that uh, jumped onto YouTube early, maybe twelve or thirteen years ago, or whenever YouTube first came out and started um, creating a lot of content around wine. He, he worked for a wine business. And he built up this big following and then at some point he stopped um, selling wine and he created a, uh, a content company. But now he's turned into this sort of uh, self-help guru, Tony Robbins type thing. And mm-hmm. his real core thesis is work ridiculous hours. He works 16 hours a day, you know, six or seven days a week, create a lot of content. He'll say things like create a thousand pieces of content a day. And just keep doing it until you build your audience, promote the hell out of yourself uh, and all the rest of it. And, and I think that's really unhealthy. Also, this is a guy, his life goal was to buy the New York Jets, which would cost him $3 billion. So he's doing everything to, 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 to create the sort of wealth of $3 billion is just um, to buy a football team. Um, there's nothing uh, wrong with like um, you know being successful and uh, you know, creating a significant amount of wealth but with great wealth comes responsibility and I feel like to buy the New York Jets that's not someone that should be creating a massive following right now and you got people out trying to outdo them um, they're celebrating it's called you know the hustle culture hustle porn and they feel like you're not um, struggling you're not working 16 hours a day you don't deserve success and uh, now you've got all these people running around on video cameras, um, trying to create their own shows and trying to outdo Gary Vaynerchuk. And uh, I, I call LinkedIn the LinkedIn hype factory now, because uh, all the, there's a lot of narcissistic content on there, and, and people um, you know following in his footsteps, and they've completely lost touch with who they are, what they stand for, what they really want to do, and, and they've got hooked into social media, highly addictive. Uh, you might feel like you're doing a good job you might be getting a hundred likes, a thousand likes or or whatever um, you know talking about this inspirational stuff and that's fine at the start but then I think there comes a point where uh, it's all about your own ego and you've lost complete sight of what what you're about so um, yeah I'm very hesitant now to do some of the activities that I did in the past and I found out maybe about six months ago that uh, my biggest motivation and driving force to have, you know, the, the need um, to do something big and to be seen to do something big or to create a big company or do something highly successful was when I was 13 years of age, I, uh, I was a second or third shortest person in the class. Had quite a high voice for um, for a male at that age to the point where if I answered the phone, people were confused if it was me or my sister. Mm. So I was in a class, you know, a prominent, um, b- very famous boys' school uh, in New Zealand that's created the most amount of all blacks. So it's quite a macho mm. culture there. And not only that, I was the smartest in the class by about, a, you know, a 20% margin. I got I got mistreened. So I was short, had a girl-sounding voice, and I was smarter than everyone in the room. Mm. So I got the shit kicked out of me um, every day. I got you know, physically beaten, um, you know, m- emotionally taunted. Uh, and then one day, you know, six guys picked me up and um, p- um, forced me into this wooden box, not not too dissimilar to a coffin, really. I, and I have claustrophobia, and I could like, I just fit in there. And they stood on top of me, and there was some um, pails of wood that went... Um, long ways on this sort of coffin type little box and they they stood on top and they were spitting in the gaps on me so I was like trapped in this thing I was being spat on and it was in view of pretty much the whole class so I was humiliated in front of all my peers and and no one really stepped in and did anything about it Um, but rather than breaking and being completely freaked out something really interesting happened I kind of went into this sort of trance or sort of like this meditative state and I knew that I wasn't a loser. I was like, I knew I was a smart person that had an interesting, um, you know, view on the world. Even as a 13 year old, um, my parents had—I traveled around the world. With my parents, so I'd seen the world. I had some pretty big insights into serious wealth and some serious famine. On the same trip, we went into deep into Africa and also went to Disney World. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to do something great one day, and I'm going to show you guys that you know you shouldn't have been messing around with me. And that was kind of the birth of the ego. Um, now, a lot of people break. You know, that it's like a PTSD thing. It's like a highly traumatic event for a 13-year-old to go through, something like that. Some people completely break. They become social pariahs. They can't get into relationships. They can't make friends. I didn't, I hardly spoke for two years after that. Uh, and and, and it's quite funny. Uh, in two weeks' time, I'm, I'm doing a keynote speech. I'm being paid to speak. But I was so embarrassed of my own voice and humiliated. I didn't want to talk to anyone. Um, I was really worried to make friends. I was scared of even getting into a romantic relationship for until I was 18 because I was uh, um, scared that they might find out about my past and I was bullied and I was a bit of a loser and I didn't have a lot of friends until maybe I was sort of around 70, the age of 17. Um, but with that experience, uh, really defined the next 20 – I'm 32 now, so they haven't 20 years ago – really defined um, my my path and created this huge need to do something great. Um, and at first that started in sport, was quite good at cricket, um, started playing um, the equivalent of grade cricket as a 17-year-old, then started in the development squads. got inv- invited to train the four international cricket teams, bowled in the nets with the likes of Brett Lee and uh, – Uh, actually really during as well um uh it was an amazing experience actually training the australian cricket team at their peak in 2005 uh and i've done some other sort of you know crazy things helped um set up co-found like this rebel political party ended up on a reality tv show uh i've been quoted in the sydney morning herald for things uh the you know abc and then getting into startups um that all came back really to that 13 year old boy that was frightened in that coffin, that was getting humiliated, and it's was like I'm not, you know, I'm not a loser. I'm someone of substance, um, but it created a huge ego and a, and a need to do something big. And now I found that's quite unhealthy. Like, w- what was I doing these things for? Was I doing them for me, or was I doing them to show off that I wasn't, um, you know, someone of not of substance or, or, or worth or whatever? Um, so that was a that was a really confronting thing to go through and activities like floating helped me actually reconnect with who I am and what I want to do and what's my motivation and I was saying to Paul before just off, um, off mic that um, if you think about the analogy of Star Wars you've got you know, the force because of this energy field and you know, there's parallels to Depending on your belief systems and things that we we operate in, uh, and on this level, and you've got dark energy and you've got really positive energy. So the dark side of the force is sort of fear, hate, resentment, and all that. And then it's, that's hugely powerful when you can tap into that, and you can work for a hundred days straight, and you can do some crazy things. And I was tapping into that energy, some really dark energy, and it was making me highly successful at times. And I was I could I could start doing things that many people could do, um, but when you're tapping into that energy, it doesn't matter how much success you have, you'll, you'll never be happy and you, it's never going to take away that pain you went through as a 13-year-old as a in my case. Or, you know, and this is not an uncommon story. Like lots of people have had trauma in their lives. Uh, the likes of a Gary Vaynerchuk, they say tap into that. You know, it's like Emperor Palpatine, tap into that anger and that hate because you can do some great things and, it, and it's highly motivating for people. But when you get that success, you'll never be happy. You'll never be content. So now I'm, um, I'm drawing my energy from, um, you know, connecting with um, purposeful projects, doing because I'm really um, happy with what I'm doing, working with interesting people, you know, flying around the world, meeting other interesting people as well, uh, and also I've um, become quite a bit of a fan of Carl Jung lately, and he talks about the the twelve archetypes. There's sort of twelve stories that. Um, Most of us, we live one of 12 major stories and uh, one of uh, the archetypes is the explorer. And I've realized... I'm the explorer. So even though I did all these crazy things in politics and sport and startups and comedy and, uh, you know, reality TV, and I wrote a 65-page um, television pile and all that stuff, really there was a little bit of narcissism in it, but it was also the need to explore, to see the world, to go into different um, mental states, to, uh, you know, pop your head in different rooms and see what's happening. And so I've really identified with that core archetype and that's hugely empowering. And it's like accepting, I've forgiven myself for um, some of the crazy things I've done. And now I like smile, and like, oh, I'm I'm an explorer. That's why I felt that I had to do all these things and I'm at peace with it. And uh, when you can get, then you go down that rabbit hole and you can come out the other side and realize what your your motivations and your drivers were, uh, yeah, feel a thousand times lighter. It's a, it's a really um, amazing experience. And uh, all my relationships, my friends, my family, lovers and all that has um, hugely improved because when I was caught up in that dark energy, I became very self-absorbed and narcissistic, couldn't connect with anyone. Um, I miss my sister's, um, you know, my niece and nephew's first day at school, birthdays, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. Wasn't connecting with my friends. Wasn't connecting with my uh, my mum and dad, couldn't connect with uh, in like a romantic relationship because that that dark energy like fucks you up.
2: <laughs>
1: mm. Yeah, I think it's um, it's a interesting thing you're talking about coming, you know, facing what your motivations to do things were, um, and I think sometimes people can be a little bit hard on themselves coming to that realization because I think there's nothing wrong or it's, you know, it's healthy to have big dreams and to to want to make a difference. Um, and I just think a lot of the time, like, it's a normal natural process just like growing from an adolescent to an adult that that drive comes from all about yourself. You know, it's a, a lot of the time it's kind of really completely absorbed, you know, where that's coming from. But there's a lot of propulsion behind that. So it's almost like you kind of need to, Experience that and realize that it doesn't completely fill you, you know, and then you evolve from that place. So I think sometimes um, there's no real avoiding it, it's just a normal part of growing up. What do you you mean?
0: Absolutely. I think you've got to go and down into the depths of the dark to to come out to the light, and that's what makes people a a well rounded human. And also, how, how can you have empathy for someone else? That might be going through something. If you haven't really been there, haven't been there yourself, you can really connect. Um, Unfortunately, though, some people don't get out of the dark, and I think that's what's so amazing with what you guys are doing here at um, Beyond Rest and, you know, floating in general is helping people um, confront some of those things in a a healthier way and be able to move out of it.
1: I'd much, ra- I'd much rather be that person that's got caught up in themselves, and I have. You know, I needed a certain amount of propulsion in my career with football because there was factors that weren't completely. Um, there was things that counted against me. You know, like I was smaller, and there was there was reasons why I potentially couldn't have made it. And I know that a lot of my resources and that like propulsion of actually getting to where I wanted to be in playing AFL came from you know, really a place of wanting to, you know, I loved the game, but I needed that fuel and that kind of desire to make myself feel better about myself to actually sort of get there. So I feel that you, a lot of people, you know, you, you can be too hard on yourself for the things in yourself that you didn't, you know, that you saw that you didn't like because it's a lot, you know, there's, there's a lot of other people who they have the same, you know, the, there's a lot of other people that don't do what you did and don't kind of throw themselves into something, even if it's the motivations are self-serving. they'll But they'll secretly have the desire to be great or they'll secretly have the desire to be famous, but they don't have certain qualities to actually make it happen. You sort of know what I mean? So I think there's always good that comes out of things and it's a lot harder to be that person that... Um, Realizes that it's been a you know an ego trip getting to where they've gone. Um, it's harder being that person than the person who's sitting on the sideline secretly wishing that they were had more money or famous or you know had their own company or whatever. So um, yeah, I think it's you can be a little bit rough on yourself and people can kind of tear themselves apart a little bit too much.
0: Yeah, I think there's nothing wrong with with big dreams and doing something great. Um, but if you're searching for greatness to, to fill some past injustice, uh, it doesn't matter if you buy the New York Jets or you know, the biggest house on the street or the fastest car or whatever, you'll, you'll never be content. But if you're doing something that you're really connected with and you want that, that thing to keep evolving and, and helping more people or you know, some really systemic change in society for the positive – and then it naturally becomes big, and you yeah. get some recognition for that. Uh, that's totally cool, and we should support people doing that all the way. There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that, and and that's really good. But I've just seen so many people, and, and the startup scene seems to be a magnet for people using it as a vehicle to fulfill the, these ego needs. And it's not about the startup that they're working on, the on the SaaS product, as they say. Um, it's about making a lot of money, getting on rich lists and or getting the recognition that they've done something great. But they don't actually really care or connected with the problem that they're solving. Uh, and and that's really scary. And then people's own identity gets caught up in the project that they're in. And startups have a 92% failure rate. And what we're seeing now is serious um, substance abuse Um entering into that scene, it's really scary and um, the suicides are happening now as well. and one of the things Nick Dunn and I are really connected over and, and why I'm you know really motivated to uh, you know get involved in this sort of movement about reconnecting with yourself is you know there's eight people a day in Australia die of suicide, and that's, um, there's a lot of reasons behind that. And, like, no one wouldn't be arrogant enough to say we've got all the answers. But um, I've, I've seen it's when people put a lot on the line and they've got these big egos to fulfill. Pride, you know, it's a really interesting subject, pride. If you go into the history of what that word actually means, um, yeah, when, when people don't when succeed, you know, they go to some pretty dark places and that ego is not fulfilled. Um, mm. you know, some really tragic events can happen. Mm. Yeah, I can see how
2: that happens in terms of the bigger ego you've got and the bigger dreams that you've got to you know, come crashing down, especially things that have no purpose, because I relate to all of that, because I've been through all of that, (laughs) you know, X-fold, and, you know, going from, you know, making millions to then catching the bus, you know, you know, and having to, like, really swallow your pride and go back to all these people that you think you were showing up secretly deep down, and something like that is quite humbling, and yeah, I can see, you know, when you do look at people that have committed suicide, and I'm. been listening and, and seeing different people around the place that have you know it's all similar things they were such tough guys such strong guys like I didn't you know they seem like they really had it or, or girls but predominantly a lot of mostly mostly men Men, isn't it in the um I think it's
0: six out of the eight six uh, out, out of, of the eight, eight.
2: six of men maybe even higher and for the men we can definitely say that it is you know being that you know i'm big i'm strong i'm carrying the world on my shoulders and then when you cannot anymore and that's your identity and you've created that identity around that and everything that you were doing had no purpose you know hence why yes we you know the business that we're in right now you know we feel that you know, it helps a lot with you know reconnecting people to what's important and what they value in their life and go out and you know live live lives aligned to that. However. You know, looking back, I can see you know myself and going through businesses. It's just if you've got that story for whatever happened, I'm I'm trying to dig into what mine is. But I've been thinking about it on this podcast to work out what particularly um, was my drive back in the day in terms of trying to build lots of businesses and and get myself out there. I think uh, coming up from a dysfunctional, violent family could be one part of it, but then more so, it's just being cool <laughs> you know from school and you know you're cool you know if you if you make lots of money and you know you're successful and you're seen strong and tough and as a good Australian male and it's great to see things actually changing you know with a lot of the millennials and the, the younger crew I'm 39 now but a lot of these you know young guys who are in their early 20s and the mid20s they really seem like they've got their head on their shoulders. I'm sure Paul you could probably comment on that from a football perspective. These, these kids in the football scene to compare to what they were like, you know, 15, 20 years ago in, in that particular scene that, you know, the younger guys seem to be a little bit more balanced, but I, I know in the startup scene for what you're seeing, Nick, is that, you know, people are, you know, there's still, there's still issues there. It doesn't matter where you come from, but it seems like things are changing a little bit. That typical Australian alpha male or just, you know, I'm tough. I can hold the world on my shoulders. I'm going to... Strive because something happened to me when I was younger, and I'm here to succeed. But basically, everything I'm doing has no purpose. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's it's hollow. And then when that crashes down, then the ego crashes down. Then who am I? Because my identity was that, and now I'm down flat on the floor. So, and that's the rabbit hole that a few people go down. You know, unfortunately,
0: absolutely. Uh, the startup scene is notorious for uh, unhinged individuals. Uh, so they that's that's their way of dealing with uh, yeah some past traumatic events now, a lot of them don't know it. I didn't I didn't know it. I only fi- figured this out <laughs> six months ago uh, maybe not even that four months ago I really had that uh, we can talk about it. I had the big life review with the old spirit molecule and uh, yeah
1: let's talk about that yeah come in.
0: yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah okay so it's more of a spiritual sort of thing uh Which is perfectly fine
2: on this podcast. Yeah, cool.
0: Okay. So, about four or five months ago, some really strange things started happening. And it all started with, uh, I think it was a Joe Rogan... um, Podcast or a video it was on DMT. I've been familiar with DMT for a long time. It wasn't like it was it was a new thing to me. I'd watched the Spirit Molecule a couple of times. An ex-girlfriend of mine, um, seven or eight years ago in Fremantle, um, almost got me involved in an ayahuasca session. So I started learning about it then, uh, and I kind of kept kind of kept uh, my ear open to anyone else that had tried it or, or read some things casually over the years. Um, but the the that scared me. The whole thing about DMT scared me so much that I I was not compelled uh, to try it. Uh, I'd had LSD before, but from what I'd heard, this was ten x on anything else out there. You know, one of the most potent psychedelics known to man. So very hesitant. You know, it's not something you just play around with willy nilly. Uh, But yeah, after watching this um, podcast, um, the next day I (laughs) had had a haircut. And my hairdresser, she's a fitness fanatic. Uh, she's done ultra marathons, walked across uh, the southern Alps of New Zealand, um, done, done some crazy stuff, real health freak. Never once had she ever spoken to me about anything outside of t- doing like, triathlons and running marathons. And she just randomly said to me, oh, I'm going to do an ayahuasca session um, in two weeks' time. And the way I reacted... She knew that I knew something about it. She goes, oh, I don't know why I told you that. It's a strange thing for me to say. And then we had a little chat about it for 10 minutes and I said that I'd watch The Spirit Molecule on, on Netflix that actually Joe Rogan hosts, um, you know, is the narrator of that uh, documentary. And so I wrote it down at the end of it and showed it to her, um, you know, uh, the name of it. And then uh, the next day, um, this guy from LinkedIn um, invites me out for a beer. He wanted to um, pick my brain on some startup stuff. And at the end of that sort of beer after work i was um we're walking back in the same direction he said oh what are you doing right now and i said oh i'm actually reading a book um i'm gonna go home and read a book he said oh what's the name what's the book about it and i, I didn't want to get into it because i was like oh you know um people find this book's particularly a bit crazy they actually pulled in front of me right now um lent me this book it's a robert monroe book um ultimate journey is third one uh, the ultimate journey, I think it's called ultimate journeys, whatever. And I was halfway through it and he's like, Oh, wh- what's that about? And I said, Oh, it's kind of a, <laughs> a bit of out of body experiences and, uh, um, lucid dreaming and all the rest of it. And he goes, Oh yeah, I, um, I had DMT six months ago and I was an atheist and it's really like, um, changed my worldview on, on a lot of things. And uh, we had a little chat about it, and it, and then he said the same thing. He goes, oh, "I don't know, um, I don't know why I told you that. It's not not an experience I share very often." Um, so two people in two days, out of the blue, blurt out about ayahuasca or, or DMT. Um, so I thought that was um, that was pretty interesting. That night, I went home, read the book, you know, maybe read a chapter or two chapters. Not not a huge amount, maybe an hour's worth. Started doing my meditation routine, and had an out of body experience that lasted about three seconds. I, I um I started and I'd had one before, so I kind of knew what was going on here. Um, this heavy vibrational ringing sound started happening in my ears. I started felt felt like I was sinking um, into the bed, and I started turning around um, 90 degrees, I could feel something like I was, I was moving and I was sinking, uh, which is actually interesting because uh, a lot of people talk about floating, but there are some people that talk about the sinking thing, and I was so close, and I just, uh, people say it's fear that keeps you in your body when, when those things start happening, and I just said, like, in my head, I'm ready, let's go, and then I just flung out, like, was slingshotted, catapulted almost out of my body. And then I landed, um, I went right through the wall um, of the place on my bedroom, went right through the wall. And then I just, like landed like kind of in the, in the lounge room, I looked around and it was exactly like I'd expect to see it. And then I was a bit freaked out and I was like, I woke up back in my body. So the whole thing lasted maybe three seconds. I was like, right, okay. So hairdresser <laughs> tells me about ayahuasca. This dude that's asked me on LinkedIn asked me about, um, tells me a story about DMT. And then I've just uh, had an out of body experience, like, oh, well, this is um, this is pretty crazy. Anyway, the next day I came across this thing called the the Arjuna randomly, and I was talking to my mate on uh, Messenger about it, and I said to him, um, "Oh, uh, I've got this mate. I know this guy's got all these float tanks um, around Australia. He might know something about the Arjuna Light. I'll, I'll send him a message." Uh, I forgot about it. The next day, I was at a cryptocurrency event in Melbourne and I was outside on the balcony and I heard us banging on the window and I turn around and sure enough, that's Nick Dunnan over here and he's waving at me. And I ran out I was like, oh, Nick, crazy that um, I was to see you here. I was going to message you yesterday. I was talking about you to a mate about the Ajna Um, I figured you might know something about it. He goes, oh, I've got three of them. Um, come in come in for a session and I hadn't seen Nick in 18 months it's not like we're running into each other every day so I'm picking up on the synchronicity like every single day some really crazy stuff's happening that I could not ignore and it felt like there's like a DMT theme around this so about three days later I, I catch up with a um a really good friend of mine but Bit of a spiritual dude, but he, he he plays in this world. He plays in the startup world. He he, he dances in the grey. You know, he can go into the startup world, make lots of money, but then go off on these spiritual retreats and and all the rest of it. And I, and I find those people quite interesting. The ones that can kind of walk the tightrope without getting caught up into either one of the world. He sort of plays in the grey. And I said, mate, some really weird stuffs happening right at the moment. I feel like the universe is telling me that I should try DMT finally. He goes, oh, interesting. Hmm. Maybe I should do that too. Anyway, two days later, he messages me and he says, I've got DMT. He goes, Do not ask me how I've got it. I randomly brought it up with a, um, a mate of mine and he had some um, spear left over and he's given it to us to, to use. Now, DMT is not an easy uh, substance to. To uh, get your hands on it's, it's notoriously difficult, and it should be. It shouldn't be something that's um, taken like a recreational drug. It's not like you know some of those other recreational drugs out there. Um, so we went down to Wilson's Prom, and we did a meditation session. I, I mean, absolutely shitting myself. <laughs> I was very nervous about this whole experience. We went down there. We did a meditation session. Um, we avoided all sorts of um, any mind altering substances. You know, no alcohol, no nothing, no caffeine. Uh, we went down there pretty um, um, yeah, clean, and you know, we looked at this stuff for a couple of hours and then <laughs> didn't know what we were doing. Anyway, we got the courage up to uh, um, you know smoke it. So we 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 smoked it and. Um, as, as I took in the first drag, this really strange thing came, like this, this thing came wrapped around me, and I, it was like a feminine voice said in my head, yeah, it's all good, you're totally, you're totally fine, you're with your good mate here, he's going to look after you, you're in a safe space. And as he was holding the pipe, as I was smoking, um, smoking it, I, I looked down, I could see the universe. And then suddenly the whole world ripped right in front of me. Like space and time, like literally ripped open, like crazy. Uh, You'd scare the shit out of you, right? Even talking about it, and thinking about it, like it should. It should scare you. You're, you're seeing something that you've known for your whole thirty-two years to be a certain way, and then suddenly you see this physical realm rip right out in front of you. Then I closed my eyes and I got shot out somewhere else, and then I was in this weird, um, an infinite environment where I could see all these like crazy shapes and things were like perfectly polished, but it also was an infinity in every direction. And I felt like I was in this waiting room and then the waiting room started moving. So I was like in an elevator and I was getting taken somewhere. Uh, and and I knew I was getting taken somewhere and everyone was waiting for me. It was like, um, it was almost like I was about to walk into a surprise party, but I got tipped off just beforehand. I'm like, Oh, I'm going somewhere they're all there. Everyone's there waiting for me. Um, and just as this whole thing was supposed to open um, I opened my eyes like the experience was over and I was like wow and then I looked around the room and the whole room was breathing and, and I could see um, energy everywhere I could see everything was totally connected and it didn't matter if it was my mate over there on the left or this uh, uh, wooden coffee table in front of me or the lights or the carpet I was like I could see everything was just like energy and it was all it was all one it was all connected it was an incredible experience and um, and then about an hour later, we had a little bit of um, DMT left over, so we, we went again, and then I got shot back to the same place with that same um, sort of female voice that came over to me and protected me the first time, said, no, no, you've disrespected it this time. You're treating this like a recreational drug right now. You're not going anywhere. And I got I got slapped over the face, but it was in a real sort of loving way. It was not It was not a punishment. It was just sort of like, take this shit seriously. Don't disrespect it. You know, you just had an amazing experience. Um, So that was about, I don't know, maybe five months ago. And since then, that experience really reaffirmed to me that uh, we're spiritual beings learning physical lessons. That is beyond doubt. It was beyond doubt. It was such a profound experience. I have no doubt now that we're we're in some sort of um, learning system. Uh, and because it must've opened some sort of portal or I, I say that it taught me to find the toxic waste valve on me and I, I managed to unscrew it. And then this, this ego that got um, built over 20 years to start draining out of me. And it was the most incredible, incredible experience. Um, just letting all this shit built up over 20 years, all this hustle, all this narcissism, all the self-absorption to start draining out of me. And there's a lot to go. There's a lot to go. There's probably seventy five percent of it still to come out, but it's coming out now. And since it started coming out, I formed a great relationship with my sister. Um, I was at a party about a month ago, and um, as I left, I just had to fly out to New York, so I'd leave the party early. But you know, as I left, I sort of hugged everyone, you know, everybody, and then went on and caught my plane. But as I was on the way to the airport, my mate who was still there goes, "Mate, incredible thing happened when you left." Um, everyone was just like so, like caught up in um, you know this, this this sort of energy and love that you sort of got now, and they were just saying the most wonderful things about you. And um, I'd never had a text message like that before, so clearly that wasn't that wasn't a normal thing. Um, but it's happened after this experience, and um, you know I feel um, I feel a lot more at peace with myself. But crazy experience like that synchronicity, like every day for two weeks, really strange. People were blurting. No one ever talked about DMT um, or Ayahuasca to me before like that, and and my hairdresser blurted out to me. Another guy, you know, this guy worked at Deloitte. He he was a management consultant. Blurts out to me. I think about Nick Dunn, and I think about Arjuna lights. see you in the next day. He's he's banging on, you know, waving (laughs) waving at me, and then we've caught up, and, um, you know, now I'm here on this podcast with you. Um, I... You know, I, I'm very reticent to talk about psychedelics and a very, you know, promoting them. It's something that you've got to find within and, and it's something that I thought about for seven or eight years. and I, I didn't take it lightly, but I can't deny that experience that I had. Um, it felt like, uh, you know, this sounds really kind of out there, but it felt it really felt like the universe wanted me to have that experience and I needed to have it and I was ready to have it and and, and yeah since then um, I feel like I've grown so much as a person I've, all the shit starts draining out of me I've really connected with who I am as a person um, a lot of loves back in my life now, got, got a way better relationship with my family, my best friend as well and um, just life in general, become a really good mentor at work with the younger guys I mentor in this uh, startup that I'm working um, in at the moment, it's a few younger guys there and uh, they're about eight years younger than me, and now I can, I can really connect, and I can mentor them, and I can teach them about uh, you know a lot of this stuff about this ego stuff, and um, you know, about having a healthy, balanced lifestyle. And uh, yeah, I feel like this DMT experience. I've only done it once, but I don't even know if I need to do it again. Actually, it's mm. it was that it was that profound. Mm.
2: That's a really balanced, you yeah, really good balanced view. Uh, you know, of it and especially, you know, my perspective on, you know, psychedelics and, you know, where it's, you know, I've seen it do wonderful things for, for some people and change, you know, be, be a factor in changing their lives. I've seen it ruin other people's lives. So I'm very Switzerland. <laughs> I'm very neutral, you know, on psychedelics. So I've seen both sides of the equation and, you know, right place, right time, right setting, right you know, particular position, if it's there, you know, and it's meant to be for that, you know, for you in that that particular circumstances, by all means. But if you're pushing it, like, things don't end well, you know. And I've seen that, you know, firsthand with, you know, People's lives going all over the shop, you know, with it. So I think that from a psychedelic's point of view, and I'm not, and what you're sharing is awesome, you know, with your experience there. And I love the way that you sum that up. That you know, I may not need to do it again because you know you've had your little insight that there's more beyond this particular 3D world or this particular world that we're in, you know, and uh, this this dimension. There's more out there, and I think that you know psychedelics give you that perception, and then you know you've got that brilliant you know
0: there's more more beyond this realm
2: move on yeah well
0: you're here for a reason aren't you you're here in this physical reality it's not like you're in punishment here you're here to learn and if you get so caught up and wanting to be um, connected to the the, uh, spirit world or whatever it is we all get to go back there that's home we're in the dream world now but we're here for a reason so uh, I think people get lost and they really want to uh, connect back with the source but that's not the purpose of this. The purpose is to actually grow and understand this learning system. It's good to be have that awareness and just keep reminding yourself: there's things to learn here. But I think what you're alluding to is, it's such an incredibly powerful experience. And when you get that you know, awakening, that we've been led to believe by everything, and it's and it's for good reason, um, because if if you had full awareness that. Um, this physical world wasn't real. It wouldn't work. We'd all be playing up and causing mayhem, and no one would be learning anything. They'd get right into hedonism, It'd be anarchy, <laughs> It'd be a complete disaster. There's, there's everything is there to try and reinforce this is this is probably based reality, and that's why your atheism and um, science, and even religions, because the religions contradict each um, each other. And there's you know three thousand of them. They're there to serve a purpose to try and convince you that this is the reality because once you're convinced of this reality, it, um, it, it helps you, um, you know, learn things. But if you lose complete touch of it, like then um, you, actually, you actually struggle to understand who you, who you are and maybe what um, are you supposed to learn in this system. So you, know, you don't want to lose sight of this physical reality um, by getting too caught up in the other, in the other world but at the same time, you still want to have awareness that, you know, you're a spiritual being here to learn physical lessons. So it's a bit of a yin and yang, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Definitely. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's uh, it's something that will just
2: kind of let, you know, for me in my past, it was quite interesting. I had an interesting experience on ayahuasca, um, you know, in, in the jungle and for me, I got some good some really good downloads and intel about what, what it was and where I was going in my life and the way that I should be. And I can go back to those lessons there and see that there's things that I'm still not doing, that it's still my life lesson that I'm kind of getting told. And and after that, you know, I I haven't really touched it and have have had an urge to go anywhere near any particular stimulant of any kind, I don't even have coffee, you know, I haven't touched anything for, I don't know, five, six years years if not even a lot more um, so yeah so it's case by case example and I think that's awesome that you've had that experience and just want everyone to be aware as well at the same time there is the other side to it and I think as long as it's um, yeah you if, if you've got that strong calling and you know everything lines up that it's meant to be then great you know not sure where you sit on it all Paul or we leave it alone and yeah yeah oh, it's, it's a hard one it's yeah. such a, such
1: a personal thing like it's knowing yourself and knowing when it's time to explore and push boundaries and knowing when it's time to pull back from that and integrate whatever insights you might have. I think that kind of theme repeats in so many different ways in everything that we've talked about. You know, in in your career, like you you don't know you've pushed too hard into an area or when your intents become a bit murky until it actually happens. And then there's nothing wrong with seeing yourself clearly and pivoting and moving on from there, and I just think that type of cycle seems to happen in so so many different areas. You know, you have times when you play. You know, you change your your habits up and your you know your diets up and what you are and aren't drinking. I think the problem is when you make really hard and fast rules and and become a bit um, set in your ways. Then that that can be you know a problem as well. But I think it just comes down to the theme of the podcast, which is reconnecting, you know, it's unrealistic to think that you're always going to be in tune with yourself. You know, you, you fall in, in, you fall into alignment and out of it. And there's certain things that you can do to, to, to reclaim that. But, um, it's like you said, we're exploring, you know, I'd much rather push too hard into an area and learn about myself than live a life of impartiality or constantly sitting on the fence or being someone that's, it's a lot easier from the sidelines to look at people who do extreme things and make judgments, but be too scared to do them yourself. So, um, I'm always an advocate of blazing your own trail and Mm. making changes when you need to. And, um, for me, I, I need to do something to learn. I can't, you know, I'm not one to learn from other people's lessons. I don't like doing that and I hate being told what to do. So, um, yeah, I think you've got to know yourself and be true to yourself. With your work, what are you doing now? What's What's driving what you're doing now? Where are you sourcing your, you know, sense of purpose from and, and what, what shape is your work taking? What are you doing?
0: Yeah, one of the insights that I got is uh – Oh, I love taking on new things, and, and I, I'm one of those people that people like, like to get in, get me involved in things, and I, I can't say no, um, so it's it's all about just working at the things that I've got at the moment, and um, sort of tying up some loose ends, but not starting any more new projects, but I invested in a startup um, two years ago called um, Formalytics, and they have developed high-end computer vision technology on a mobile phone. So have you ever seen um, Hawkeye at the cricket? You know, when they model the trajectory of the ball where it landed and they do it the same at the tennis, sort of that, um, yeah, that sort of computer vision. This company um, has developed that on a mobile phone and we're using it at soccer at the moment. So a kid can take their phone down to the park, kick the soccer ball, we we'll get some really professional-grade analytics on how fast they're kicking it, um, their accuracy, and then they can uh, it can be benchmarked against all these other people in the world, and then they can compete in a in a friendly sort of competition, and they can compare themselves to professionals. And we're in a scary place right now with technology. I mean, it's done some amazing things, uh, but if you think about gaming, there's a lot of kids right now that are locked inside their room, and they don't leave it for the weekend. Mm. This particular app. Um, it's using augmented reality, computer vision and artificial intelligence, but you have to go outside to use the app. And in fact, you're not really engaging with the phone at all because it's all, voice, it's all voice activated. So you set up the phone on a tripod and you start talking to it and it'll start talking back and it'll start just watching you and start measuring you kick the ball without you having to really engage with it, so, which is phenomenal. Uh, and I'm really connected with that. I was a huge sports lover. I I didn't play computer games as a kid. I, I was outside. I was quite fortunate. That my parents had a um, blank section next door to our home, and we had a little tennis court there, and a cricket pitch, and some makeshift rugby goals. And I was just out there all day throwing a ball or kicking a ball. Or my sister was a netballer, or you know playing a bit of netball or basketball with her. Uh, and I join a lot of sports teams, and uh, most of my friends have come from sports teams uh, all, all around New Zealand, Australia, and a lot of those people are you know, globally based now, so I've got friends pretty much in every city, but a lot of it comes back from sport. I think sport's a great vehicle for people to learn how to work as a team you know, overcome conflict. It's also some of those sports have got a um, position for all body sizes, um, which is great. It's good, yeah. It's good socially, It's good for your fitness. It's good to get outside, but we're at. There's this big war on right now for attention. We got all these social media platforms, all these gaming platforms, and um, people are just uh, not. They might be competing against someone else in the world, but they're not talking. They're not communicating. They're not running around. So this particular um, piece of technology keeps all that happening, which is. Fantastic. And it's taken me all around the world. I started working for them full time three months ago. Um, I was sort of in between projects. I invested in them two years ago. The founder is a bit of a mentor of mine. And I just called him up and said, oh, I'm kind of in between gigs right now. I'm unemployable. There's no way you can employ me. (laughs) <laughs> you know in a full-time 49 to 5 I just don't operate on that level um, I couldn't work in the big corporate beast anymore that's just knowing who I am nothing against anyone that works in that world I'm not going to judge you you do your thing but it's just I, I couldn't survive in there it'd, it'd drive me nuts so um, I've still got to get paid you know I'm going to make money so he said oh perfect timing why don't you why don't you work for us we need someone with your skill set right now um, so I'm pretty much been paid to travel around the world and um, you know do deals with large sporting organisations and sporting brands um, to try and get this piece of technology in the hands of um, you know every kid in the world that plays soccer. There's 750 million um, pretty active soccer enthusiasts. Obviously, not, not all children, um, but it's the biggest sport in the world. So we've got a huge opportunity um, to fight off um, you know virtual reality. Um, e-gaming that I, I think is a bit of a cancer and we're going to see some serious repercussions in the next few years um, if this technology um, has a grip um, on the next generation coming up um, so I'm, yeah I'm, pr- I'm very connected to this purpose, I, I wasn't a soccer uh, um, enthusiast um, growing up but a sports enthusiast uh, yeah so I'm off to New York and um, Tomorrow to try and close out um, one of these deals. Uh, and interesting, like the last trip, I just spent six weeks in um, the US and Europe and just seeing that, that contrast between the US culture, the hustle culture. Uh, I stayed in an Airbnb at one guy's place. Um, it was his primary residence, but he Airbnb'd it out. He either slept in his van out the front or at a, at a girlfriend's place. Uh, he, he was also an Uber driver. He worked as a barista, and he was a journalist, so he had four income sources. But there's this whole need in America to like either be seen to do something, not not being um, happy with where you're at. You, you, they're, they're always going to be outdoing themselves, and you know it's a it's a crazy environment. So I, I went into that environment. I was in LA, uh, I was in Portland, Philadelphia, Dallas, um, and New York, you know, and I saw this weird energy. As so though all I can say is just this weird, really weird energy over there. And then I went over. To uh, the UK, London. I was there for a few days, and then I spent three and a half days in Granada, um, in the south of Spain. Uh, it's an amazing spiritual um, area of the world, um, particular you know, of that part of Europe. And so, Granada over the over the years has had you know, all the major religions have had their time in the in the sun. And so you had the, the big um, Islamic area called the Alhambra, which is just f- incredible. Uh, and then you had this, the big Catholic section and then the Jewish uh, section and the architecture is incredible. And, and uh, you know, Spain has, uh, I think, 20% unemployment in the youth demographic um, and, and even you know, wider. It's, it's a country that's in a bit of turmoil right now. But the most love and gracious and happy um, people, and you know that that art and the family, and you know, people aren't um, earning anywhere near as much as the Americans, uh, but they're they very grateful. You know, they were happy and they were engaging, and just seeing that contrast was like really eye opening for me, which is cool. So that was all paid for by this, you know, on the startup journey, and that's where I see. Um, you know, working in startups, now I, see, I I do it for different reasons. You know, I used to be all about, like, let's do something big and, you know, change the world and all the rest of it. And now it's sort of like, well, yeah, we're working on the product um, that helps get kids outside. That's cool, you know. If we can get millions using it, great. But if we only get a hundred thousand using it which we have at the moment still pretty impressive and at the same time if i can explore the world and take a day out here and there to go to a museum or you know read a book on the way i'm reading one of your books at the moment that you lent me the um the tibetan book of the the living and the dying and seeing how the world operates so what a what an incredible experience Mm.
1: what would you say to like a someone who's listening to this and they've got a lot of energy and you know they've got the, the desire they want to hustle they want to do great things because um, you only learn what you learn because you hit some sort of internal wall and has sort of changed your direction um but what what about someone who's kind of listening and saying well how am i going to get anywhere then you know how you know you've reached a certain balance in yourself through a process But if someone hasn't embarked on that process yet, they've just got boundless energy and they want to make something of themselves, how do they do that in a way that you think is realistic and where each step of what they're doing is beneficial, not just a means to an end?
0: Oh, well, working in startups is a spiritual journey. It's choose your own adventure. It takes you on a wild ride. You're going to go down to some really dark places, but you're going to go to some massive highs as well. You're going to meet the most incredible people. Uh, It it is a magnet for um, attracting some of the most interesting, curious, messed up as well, um, humans. Uh, And and you get caught in a bubble when you think this is actually how the world works. It it, it is. It is a very rare breed of of people that get sort of caught up in it. My advice would be startups have a high failure rate. Uh, They've got a 92% failure rate. Um, A lot of people lose their money and all sorts. Uh, there's a saying now it's getting a little bit more popular and it's one I subscribe to is any seat on a rocket ship is a good seat and don't feel like you need to do your own thing. Um, you'll you'll no, leave a ridiculous chance of failing first time. Um, you're going to lose a lot of money. Um, you know, <laughs> you're going to be beaten up a bit. You're probably going to have some serious mental health issues at, at parts during it. But I think you can get a lot of the great benefits out of um, the startup ecosystem by working for one first and see if it's for you. And if you've got the energy, um, fantastic. And then you can go and find something that really, um, aligns with what you want to do. I mean, there's some incredible startups out there doing some you know, really life changing things. There's a lot that aren't. Um, but if you've got that energy and you want to go down that rabbit hole, uh, Go for it, but um, don't feel like you need to do your own one first, and you need to be the big dog and and take take all that pressure. Um, work up to it. It's a, t- it's a ten year journey. I'm in I'm in year five. I I, I think uh, I'm probably a five or a six out of ten, and I think most founders running around right now, first time ones are a, a bit of a one or two. And no, I think it takes ten years to start getting up to the you know an eight or a nine, a highly polished A grade. Um, uh, entrepreneur or founder or whatever you want to call it, uh, and, and this is where the problem people come in and they try and do their thing first, um, and, and for all these reasons I mentioned, ego or fame or you know wealth or or whatever it is, um, but they haven't learned their trade yet. So learn your trade first to get really good at what you're doing, and if you can't. If, uh, if you go and work on inside a startup and after a year you realize it's, uh, it's not for you, well, fantastic. You know, you've, got a, you've got a peek inside that world. You've walked away. You've probably still got your house. And hopefully your mental health is still pretty good as well. Mm. Uh, take baby steps. Tip, definitely my advice is, and this is not the advice for, um other people give you, like do what's right for you. But I, personally, I would say work for someone else before trying to do it yourself. There's just so much to learn uh you know i'm a year well, i'm working for a guy that's been doing it 20 years right now and he's saying that each year is the biggest learning um curfew he's ever had uh so <laughs> i
2: subscribe to that i'm, I'm 18 <laughs> years in running businesses and just every year lately it seems to be of there's so much more you need to learn so i don't think it's stops. sometimes absolutely man. yeah um cool
1: um what are you most like about yourself at the moment? A quality of yourself that you're really comfortable
0: with or celebrating in yourself. I'm really stoked that I know I'm the explorer now, and I like I've done some crazy things. And it, and part of it, as I said earlier, comes across you know quite narcissistic. Around I was on a reality um TV you know TV what, what? show. It was, uh I was called, uh, come date with me. It was a bit of a dare that i sort of took on on board and that i mean reality tv that is there's a test um it, it's sort of uh waving there you want to get famous not, oh, i didn't do it for that reason but there's probably a little bit around that i've definitely played up and caused some trouble on it but it's sort of like come over here you fame fame's over here come 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 and then they fuck you up Like they destroy people they destroy lives it's, it's one of the greatest life lessons um Um, and that's the system isn't it you want to you you want to get famous or you want to fast track your, your way to somewhere you know the universe is a really great way of teaching you a lesson and reality TV is that it's that it's that, um, it's that little magnet um, that attracts um, people that have got ego issues or the need to be loved or liked or, or whatever, and they teach you a real, a really good lesson. And uh, no one, uh, yeah, not many people come out with their head held high in that world. I tell you, like, I, I could talk a whole new other episode about that world, and I'm going to write about it one day f- for sure. Um, but to answer your point about the thing that I like about myself right now, it's like looking at all this stuff and going, I'm an explorer. I'm I'm the explorer archetype. And that's why, actually, that's why I did it. Because I I just got to go and check everything out. And actually, something I realized two weeks ago... When I was six years old, I can mean, I still remember this very vividly, I found out the whole world had been discovered because we were learning about Christopher Columbus, Abel Tasman, Captain Cook, some of, you know, some of the great explorers um, that found you know this part of the world and the new world. I was like, oh, imagine that, getting on a boat, not knowing where you're going, just pointing in a direction of the sea and hoping you're going gonna to find something and you find these crazy lands and you map it all out and you know no one's stepped foot in some of these areas before. Uh, it was quite romantic. As a six-year-old, I was quite you know romanticised by that idea, and then I found out the w- whole world had been pretty much discovered. Um, they had satellites above now mapping everything, planes flying over taking photos. Oh, I was absolutely devastated. I think I was almost crying because like I thought I wanted to be an explorer, um, and the world's been mapped out, um, and it was heart- it was heartbreaking. But you know, I actually got my wish. I wanted to be an explorer as a six-year-old, and that's what I've been given. I've seen a huge chunk of the world, you know, the physical world, but I've got to explore ideas. I've got to see into different realms. Like I made really good friends with a, you know, a little bit of a notorious drug dealer for a while, and I've never got involved in drug dealing, and I don't promote that. But hearing his life stories and he talked about the gray and all these different realms, and and right in front of you, at any point in one time, all this crazy stuff's happening, and you can't see it because you, you're just you're caught up in your own um, little world. And, and you know, seeing that and dipping into the whole sports thing, and then the, some—you know—I've met some pretty seriously wealthy people, and I've been at some crazy outrageous, um, you know, like parties, uh, you know, with all sorts of shenanigans, and, and seen a little bit of that, and got involved in um, po- politics and academia. Um, I've seen, I've seen all these different. I've seen the good, the bad, you know, the ugly, the spiritual, like a lot of different things, and and I love it now that I can accept I can accept all these crazy, like, wacky things that I've done because I've actually been true to myself. I've been, I wanted to be an explorer. I wished for it. I got it. Um, I've confronted the ego thing. I found the toxic waste valve. I've unscrewed it. The shit's pouring out now. And now I can just be an explorer without the ego. I can do all these crazy things that I don't... Um, and it's not for anything other than I'm just a curious person and uh, this is this is this is my story and this is part of my learning system is to go out there explore the world see how different people live learn learn how to love and tolerate and you know move on from being judgment or having that superiority complex and all that ego stuff that you know comes with it you know because when you're good at things it's pretty good at sports pretty good at academia um, if I plied my hand to most things, I was reasonably good at it. Um, but I was given a good body. I was brought up by um, smart parents that provided a lot. I should be I should be pretty good at things because I've been given every opportunity. Uh, and I see a lot of people that have been given everything, and they are good at a lot of things, and they get very superior about that, and they... They become very quick to judge other people when they think people are useless and you know there's so many idiots in this world and you know, I think eighty um, percent of um, drivers say that they're above average drivers, which is statistically impossible, but um, you know, that's the world we live in. So being able to let go of all that sort of stuff now and just be in tune that you're in a you're an explorer or if you're like my mum's a caregiver. know uh, if you thought think about those twelve archetypes, she's dedicated her life, she's a nurse to caring people. Um she talks to them on their deathbed and helps them people get through some scary times. Um, she's fully understood you know you know her her journey um, and accepting it and not feeling like you have to do anything bigger than that because society says like the American way of life is you know you've always got to be doing up to four jobs and if you're not if you're not hustling, you're not you're not doing anything you know crazy so and I'm happy I've moved on from that. Mm. So, what about you? <clears throat> what would you say about yourself
1: at the moment that you're least comfortable with an aspect of who you are, or um, and how you deal with that?
0: Yeah, so I think one of the big thing, th- one of the big things that's taking up my mind right now is uh, for the first time in my life, maybe three months ago, I wanted to be a father. Um, I was like so self-absorbed, and I'd been in uh, you know relationships with people that are also a bit messed up and self-absorbed, and who also didn't want kids, you know. So I kind of like yeah, not not doing the kid thing. Um, but now uh, I'm, I'm thinking about that sort of stuff, and it's it's actually really confronting because uh, I've got certain ways, um, you know, belief systems that are um, definitely not the definitely not mainstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've always been quite cavalier with like relationships and lust and attraction and all that. And and now the way that I want to live my life, I've got to be, I've got to meet, be with someone that is really connected to some of these things that I'm connected with, and and navigating through that and, and thinking about these things is really like never thought about, never been, never had visions of being married or having kids and all that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm really struggling with that right now. Um, uh, I don't have, I don't have any answers. So that's, that's, um, making me feel quite uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, and I'm something I'm working through.
1: Great. Another thing to explore. Absolutely. So what, uh, what would you say are some of your belief systems that are a bit left of center in terms of the society we live in or the sort of accepted norms?
0: Well, I think a big one is, uh, education. I don't, I don't really believe in the traditional education system. I think what's um, happening over in Scandinavia is really interesting. They just sort of let the kids play until seven and uh, and it's really good for communication and uh, working with your peers um, and that sort of that early development stuff and understanding like, the physics of this world. And then they start getting into more traditional education later on. And what they've found is actually um, kids are a lot more happier and well-rounded and, and academically perform higher doing that. Uh, so to do that in Australia, you could go through the sort of Steiner method, you know, Wardorf schools. Mm. I've been um, very interested. I, interestingly enough, I lived right next door to a Rudolf Steiner school growing, growing up in New Zealand, the only one in Christchurch. Um, always sort of was weird because it was like different sorts of people went to those schools, you know. They were doing the whole green thing, you know, 30, well, actually 100 years before. You know, Rudolf Steiner was 100 years in front of his time. I actually saw the Rudolf um, Steiner exhibition in Vienna when I was there about seven years ago. Cycled along the Iron Curtain between Vienna and Prague, mm. started some massive visions um, there that I sort of put aside for for about seven years, and I'm confronting them now. I think it's the Mont- Montessori schools. So um, the way um, children are brought up, you know, I want to live outside. I've lived my whole life in, you know, major cities. I sort of want to live off the land and have veggie patches. I want to throw my phone in the lake. Um <laughs> Probably not. Late. It's not great for the environment, but you know, I want to get rid of technology um, out of my life at um, some point and, and live a bit of a different lifestyle. There, a lot of creativity and art. Um, so one of the one of the challenges I have is uh, people who I'm attracted to aren't attracted to the, the life that I'm living right now. They still see the sort of start um, startup stuff, you know, travelling around. And I, I'm, like, quite attracted to, like, quite spiritual people that are you know, wearing baggy pants and, like, you know, drawing art and all that. But I, I, I haven't gone enough for my, my own journey to be able to connect with those sorts of people yet. So that's a bit of a challenge. Mm. Like, when you're attracted to someone, they're not attracted to you. Uh, and then uh, the, people that I'm att- the people that are quite attracted to me, uh, I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> I'm not interested in that world that you're playing in. I'm not interested in the whole, um, you know, climbing the corporate ladder and um, you know having those the big mortgages and all, all, all the rest of it. I'm actually pretty keen to live a pretty humble lifestyle once I finish this this particular chapter that I'm in now, and I and I've got to see it through. Like, the, there is still a lot of ego and wealth and all this crazy stuff in the startup world, but I started this thing and I know that I'm supposed to finish it. Um, so I'm gonna finish it. it just, just has to be done. Mm. Do you think maybe? Do you think
1: what you're going through is a transition period in terms of reassessing your intents and your drives and, and where, where you want to take your life? How oh, do you
0: absolutely.
1: Might, do you think the truth? You know, the way you talked before sort of seems like a talk that trajectory trajectory of your life might change quite a lot to becoming more of a quiet, humble. You know that type of thing, uh, do you think there's any sco- scope for the fact that maybe you go through a period where you kind of slow down a bit, but then maybe you go out and do something that might look ex- on the exterior to be quite similar to what you're doing before, but fueled by something very differently?
0: Yeah. 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 Like I said before, there's nothing if – I, if I stumble upon something that I, I'm very connected with – um, and everything that I've done, uh, particularly in the last five years, I've, I've got a very unique skill set, and I, I, I'll, I'll have those skills and experiences to probably like, give something a fair chance of potentially doing something big. Mm. Um, and if that opportunity comes along and I'm connected with it, I, I'd, be, I'd be probably intrigued to, to explore that, and, and it might make sense. I'd probably see it because <laughs> because I'm a bit of a spiritual person I feel like we're in a you know in an en- energy and learning system um, it's not I feel like it's there's no mistake Nick and I you know are working together on some stuff right now and we seem to randomly cross paths and so if an opportunity crossed uh, my path and uh, I, I could not ignore it and I'd be very much like maybe everything that I've been going through sort of leading up to give me the skills to to tackle this problem mm-hmm. so yeah you can never say never maybe i maybe i just go away to the farm for two years and i'm out of my mind and you know i have got to go back to the city who knows but mm-hmm. uh yeah right now i just want to uh i sort of want to wrap up this chapter get um get all this crazy ego narcissism big dream thing um definitely gone down the rabbit hole seen the the best and the worst of it and um i still want my payout I still, like I've, put, I've got myself at times into uh, you know, really bad financial situations. Um, you know, my last venture that I was involved in got me into you know, $40,000 credit card debt. Well, I've got to pay that debt back. I want to make money to pay that debt back. Mm. Um, so I need my payout and I want to buy a patch of land somewhere. I um, don't know where it is. I'm really connected to uh, Newry Bar, 30 minutes um, west of Byron Bay. Um, got some family in Byron Bay. You know, they've, they've been there a lot longer than, you know, when it was, you know, it's got quite cool and uh, you know, it's sort of attracted a, a different crowd there. But it's a very spiritual part of um, Australia and I'm very connected there. I've probably been there nearly a dozen times. Slept on the beach at Byron Bay, saw the sun come up one day. Uh, yeah, connected there. But I need to make money to be able to buy some land there. And I, there's nothing wrong like some people that go on the spiritual journey Um they, they have a problem with wealth and, and creating wealth. Um, um, once you've got multiples more than you need, I think there's, a, there's an issue there, and it's sitting in um, banks not doing anything, and it's all about how much money you can make or flying the New York Jets or something. I think there's a bit of a problem with that, but if, if you want to do something pretty epic with it, that's going to um, push um, something along bigger than yourself. Totally cool. Totally fine with that. Um yeah if you wanna if you want to buy a huge patch of land and build some mud huts and have a commune and it's going to take ten million dollars to do it, well, so be it. you know mm. that's totally cool.
1: yeah, I think it sort of touches a bit on your explorer theme like I think I don't know the archetypes as such, but um I think everyone when they come coming into a life they they are an explorer, you know there's that's we're constantly exploring relationships, our psyche. Jobs, the world, you know, it's just how willing are you, or how how many risks do you take, or you know, how much of an explorer are you? Um I think some people will explore certain themes almost exclusively for just just for the experience of it. So yeah, I just think it's it's kind of tricky. Like some people, you know, money, you've come to realisation about money and you know, certain things are working a certain way um, and your life's changing on the back of that. But I think some people will spend a whole lifetime on that theme, trying to discover or explore their relationship to money and, and how all of that works. So
0: Yeah, I don't think you can clock life, can you? It's not... It's just everyone's so unique. Yeah. You know,
1: everyone's... Why, why we're here is so unique. Like, it's just so hard to... Um, to know from the outside um, and it's hard to judge really isn't it it's
0: amazing though is not it? if you think about it you're thrown into this thing you've got no idea why you're here what's going on and uh you you might be given five years or 80 years to figure it out but as it will not even figure it out mm. but it, it is pretty cool looking up at the stars i remember when i drove down from darwin i lived in darwin for six months down to down to perth and spent eight years in perth but at times i was right out of the outback nothing around no light pollution no cars and just remember sitting on the bonnet one day one night probably about 3am in the morning just looking up and every 40 seconds or a shooting star but out out there out of the outback of australia so i don't know where i was somewhere but somewhere um yeah, probably out near Carnarvon Way or even f- further up. Can't remember, but oh, so it was an incredible experience. And we um, in the cities, we, we don't get to look up. It's all that light pollution. If you look up there. It's, it's what an incredible experience. Like what, whatever's going on on here. E- even if and I've got no, I've personally got no doubts that we're in a. Um, Uh, we're in a system, we're in an energy system here. But even if you you don't get that opportunity to have the experiences that I have that wouldn't 100% convince you or you're too scared to um, really open yourself up to that, totally cool. Like that's your journey, that's fine. And if you believe this is base reality and you're a reductionist, that's still still pretty fucking incredible, isn't it? What we've got. Well, I mean, what a system. (laughs) What a system we've got. Mm. we can see architecture we can go out into the jungle we can learn about love um, we can overcome struggles we can um, we can work a whole life to master a skill become you know um, a pioneer in something oh, it's pretty awesome well on that your big question or my last question. Your last
1: question. So I asked this question, it's, uh, I call it, what's your Margatsny? So Margatsny is Instagram backwards. So (laughs) um, I found it interesting talking to a few people on the podcast. Um, Instagram's a big thing. It's where people showcase usually the top 1% of their life. But in this program, we're kind of interested in what, what's what's the Margatsny like when when you're struggling and when you're in your darkest places how does that feed look
0: like uh yeah well I deleted Instagram two weeks ago um so I went through serious depression uh six months ago um I took all the energy I had just to get out of bed now I ran the Melbourne marathon in under four hours last year, six months later, I couldn't even get out of bed. There was more of an effort, was getting out of bed than running the Melbourne Marathon. Um, I could still kind of, like I, I took all the gumption that I had to get out of bed and then go to work. And I'd work, you know, some days it might be six hours, some days it's 10 hours. Definitely wasn't doing 16-hour stuff in, in this state. I'd come home, walk through the door, and just collapse, collapse on the couch. And more often than not, I'd wake up at 3 a.m., fully clothed, lights on, hadn't even cooked myself dinner, couldn't even do the basic things. Getting out of bed, going home, changing clothes, cooking myself dinner, turning the lights off and going to bed. That was a real effort. Couldn't do it. And in that, I remember, in that darkest out, those darkest hours, I think the real dark stuff lasted about four weeks, um, yeah, just didn't have any zest, you know, any zest for life. No, I didn't have suicidal thoughts or anything, but I just didn't really care anymore. I was like, if I got cancer tomorrow, wouldn't matter. wouldn't care. You know, it was, uh, it was an absolute, it was an absolute battle. And, uh, I did, yeah, I, think I had to go through that. Um, but yeah, what does it look like? It looks like, uh, a person that hasn't been eating properly, lying on a couch at 3am fully clothed. That's the, uh, that's the reality of um, The Darkest Hour. That's what it looks like. It's not very glamorous.
1: Mm.
0: And what, what would you say, a couple of the
1: key things that helped you move on from that? Was it something that kind of happened on its own or are there a couple of, key, a couple of things that you did that helped you through that time?
0: Um, well, this is actually when all that synchronicity stuff started happening. Uh, so I followed that well, I was, uh, I was aware of it. Um, I was just battling to get through the day. It was yep. like, I didn't give up. I was yep. still positive. Um, I know I, I did say before that if I, you know, I got, um, got cancer or something, but I, I still was, I wasn't a victim. Mm-hmm. I was still getting out of bed and doing, you know, the things that I had to do. And I think deep down I knew um, cause you know, I've had, I've had depression before. Like the first time is probably quite scary. The second time, you normally know it's it's, it's going to be. You know, it's going to be a brighter day. Uh, but yeah, that that synchronicity kicked in, and that's I've got to say, that's probably the thing that um got me out of it. because well, I reconnected, I reconnected back to oh, we're in a learning system here. Because w- when you go through um, depression, if you go through depression as an atheist, which I had before, um, no no spiritual connection when I was about nineteen. It's pretty hard to make sense of it. It's a pretty scary place to be. But but when you've got spiritual awareness and you sort of look at depression, it's like a struggle and it's a, it's a learning thing and you're going to get through it and you know, this is happening for a reason. For me, I think it was breaking me down to zero because I had this ego issue. And once you get down to zero and you rebuild yourself up and you know, I found that toxic waste valve and all the rest of it, I had to go through that to go into the next part of the journey. And, and I kind of connected with that. Mm-hmm. Um that's what worries me a little bit about this whole science-based atheism thing that we have in, you know, that's starting to, to creep in, um, in into this world and, and that, that loss of um, that spiritual connection. Because the scientific, you know, the reductionist, the um, atheist way is, is medication. It's not going, there's a learning experience here. There's not any sort of spiritual enlightenment opportunity or, or growth period to come out of this. It's like, go, let's fix this with a pill. Mm. Uh, yeah. So getting through that, being still, um, being in touch with you know the spiritual self, and I was float. Actually, I forgot to mention. I that's when I started floating again. Yeah. So I ran into Nick and he reminded me floating and then I started floating here and we had some really cool chats and started reading some books again. You know, that one you gave me and all this other stuff started happening. Um, you know, freaky stuff. Cool. Glad we played a part. Nice to be, yeah, a part
2: of that little journey. So when people talk about chemical imbalances, do you feel, where, where's your stance on the chemical imbalance sides of things when we talk about, you know, depression and, you know... All sorts of, all sorts of types of different little mental health, you know, related issues. Because I know it's a very hot topic, and we've known that from social media. when we've kind of put out, try to put out a stance on, um, you know, the farm and the meds and that sides of things.
0: When I was uh, how old was I? I think I was twenty three. Went into a pretty bad state, and my parents flew me back to New Zealand and forced me to go and see a psychiatrist. I have to see a very good one. And um, she refused to write um, um, a script. She said pretty much everywhere else in the world would, but um, she refused to. And up until that point, I didn't have a sleep uh, a sleep routine. I was like be up till three a.m. or be a bed at midnight. It didn't really matter. Now I say going to bed about ten p.m. every night. Since then, it's probably the only OCD anal thing that I have in my life. And uh, I cut cut back on alcohol and and fitness and all that sort of stuff. I found I got healthy pretty quickly by doing the basics, like having a, you know, routine with sleep, a sleep routine, um, yeah, cutting back on the alcohol and and fitness. So, um, I mean, if you're doing all that sort of stuff and things aren't improving... Then maybe you can be open to other things, but I don't like this whole world where it's like let's let's fix it with a pill before breaking down. Like what are all these? Other, you're eating, you're not eating right. <laughs> you're not sleeping properly. You, you're, you're on your phone the whole time. All that blue light's hitting you. You, mm. you. You're scrambled. We're not we're not doing the basic stuff first, and then we're trying to like prevention's better than cure. It's like let's throw a pill. So, uh. Oh, oh. I'm, I'm very reticent to like into the argument because I don't know a lot about the other side. You know yeah. the the drugs and the farm, you know the pharmaceuticals and all that, but they will prescribe a pill before doing what's right for you, and I think that's that's the issue.
2: Hmm. Yeah, well said, and uh, and it's interesting you mentioned about the screens and you know one of the best ways to actually. Give yourself a, a mental health conditioning quote, so to speak, or just put yourself put your sleep right out, and then so you're feeling like a zombie and all over the shop is the screens, and you know actually looking at a screen two hours before bed actually impacts your um, you know your serotonin and you actually how deep you actually go within your sleep. So it plays a big factor in you know you actually not getting the REM sleep that you need just due to the fact that you're on a screen two hours before bed. So just a, a pretty massive factor, I'd say, for a lot of people in today's day and age in terms of where they're at and, you know, being a little bit all over the shop and them glued to a screen as they're falling asleep.
0: Yeah, I think I've probably got a bit of a phone addiction issue still. Um, I've cut all the social media out of it, but um, I am fascinated and, you know, there's some amazing stuff on, on YouTube. I love some of the Joe Rogan stuff. Really gone to Paul Stamets lately. And if you want to learn and, you know, you've got that zest for um, education, it is so easy to get hooked into that and then you find yourself, you know, watching a YouTube episode at 11pm at night and you wonder why you can't sleep. Yeah, we need to go back to basics. Well, on, on basics,
2: looking at uh, the biggest regret of the dying um, is that 75% of people on the deathbed wish they lived a life that was true to themselves so this was a study done with caregivers like your mum, um, with uh, a, you know a fair chunk of people, you know, on their on their way out, so to speak. So looking at that statement that most people are on their way out, you know, with that regret, you know, how do you feel that you're living your life right now?
0: Yeah, I'm actually pretty cool with where I am now. Um, six or twelve months ago, probably not. Uh, but I feel like I'm being true to myself. I've never lived a life that anyone else, though. Um, I've had to challenge my parents at times. They've not been cool with some of the decisions I've made, but I've still done them. I've been in romantic relationships with people where um, one in particular got into law, very unhappy individual, but was sort of forced on it by her parents, you know, went to the right school and got the grades. And from my opinion, I could be speaking way out of school right now, but this is my perception, was there was a lot about... Um, it was about the ego of the family to be producing these, you know, successful kids that are, you know, lawyer, doctors, or engineers. I haven't had that problem with my parents. I've actually lived the life that I've really wanted to live, and they've been mainly cool with it. They've challenged me on a few things, but I haven't stopped doing anything um, because of someone else. Um, so, yeah, if I was on my deathbed tomorrow. Um, you know, I've, been, I've been a bit disappointed. There's a lot of things that I haven't got to do yet, but um, I would know that I've given everything a crack, and I haven't let fear get in the way. I certainly haven't let fear stop me doing anything. I, I mean, I've done some pretty outrageous things that most people would be scared shitless to do, um, but I definitely haven't let fear stop me doing what what I want to do. Um, you know, there was a bit of an ego involved in some of those things, but I didn't I didn't let other people's thoughts or society or anything stop me doing. Um, things it's always been about, you know, finding my my true path. Um, I'm actually doing the same things that I was doing 12 months ago. Just the motivations, you know, quite different now. And I think I'm a, I'm a I'm a better friend for sure. Better. I think you've got a blog post somewhere about being learning to be a better brother, son, and lover, and all the rest of it. And like I can connect with that now. But yeah, if if, yeah, if I'm the deathbed tomorrow pretty gutted that I get to, oh, well, it's time to, to go back to the source. I feel like there's a lot of unfinished business here, but I, I wouldn't have any regrets right now.
2: Great. Well,
0: thanks a lot, Nick.
2: That was uh, very enlightening for everyone there in terms of hearing your journey and, and it'd be quite, uh, yeah, familiar for a lot of people in terms of the hustle and then how to find balance around that. So I think that's a really valuable lesson for everyone there. Yeah,
1: I'd love the chat. Enjoying your uh, adventures for sure. We'll have to have another one in a couple of years and see where you're at then. Uh,
0: wouldn't that be interesting. Yeah, it will be. Yeah. No, uh, cheers guys. Really have uh, appreciated this uh, invite to this podcast and just the the friendship that um, sort of been unfolding since we linked up, you know, four or five months ago. It's, it's been it's been cool. Awesome. Reconnecting and letting it flow.
2: Thank you.